All right, if you'll turn, good morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 48, and our portion for this morning is 48 to 50. As you're turning, I'll make mention of, of a verse that was quoted up here by my little cousin. And in light of the door-to-door ministry, and just to be encouraged about evangelism in general, you know, it's interesting what those lepers said. They said, this is a day of good news. We are not doing right, it says. This is a day of good news. And what it was was the desperation of the nation, right? They were hungry. And here they are enjoying the rewards of what God has given them, and they're not sharing it with anybody. This is not, we are not doing right. In the same sense, those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you come in contact with the unbelieving world, how is it that you can help an unbelieving world? How is it that God would, would have you serve them except for to give the gospel? Right? What a verse for the, uh, what a verse for encouragement for give the gospel. This n- we are not doing right. Today is a day of good news, right? This is a day of that we should be sharing it with those who are in need, those who are in desperation, right? They are facing life and death. They have in two, uh, they have before them the path of life and the path of death, but they are on the path of death. So, um, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. Second Kings. I think it was 7-9, was it, right? 7-9, okay. All right, so we're in the last part of our lessons in Genesis, and it is, as sometimes as we come across these uh, sections, they're very lengthy, and in no way are we going to end up covering the entire thing, but we want to at least cover what some of the major themes at the end of this book. Um, if I were to put an overall title of it, uh, title over it, it would be "God will take care of you" or "God will be with you." Um, if we look at the book in a whole, as we're considering the end, we'd like to look at some contrasts. Right at the beginning, we have in Genesis, as we started creation. Well, we, at the beginning, we have God, right? And God, in His wisdom, it doesn't really say too much why in that at, at the beginning of the book why He decided to create. But he did. It says in the beginning, God created, right? So God's creating. But then, not a few chapters later, there's, um, there's relationship between God and man. There's, there's paradise, what every person would be looking for. But it's lost. Because the creation is now uh, brought upon themselves rebellion, right? And, and in doing so, sin has entered into God's creation. God has allowed it and corruption, and separation. And the things that we see today, guys, uh, 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 men and women, the things that we see today are a result from what that chapter speaks about. Death, sorrow, cancer, wars, greed, envy. Those aren't, God's, those aren't something that came from God. That is a result of us bringing it upon ourselves. Adam sinned against his Maker, but God would not cast aside his creation. Because towards the middle, I should say this, almost the, uh, in, the, in the middle of the teens of, of the chapters of Genesis, the concern then shifts towards one person, right? God was not going to be casting aside mankind because he has promised the seed, someone who would right the wrong, somebody who would correct everything that man has messed up, this seed, this Messiah, 
and he starts to bring it into a locale of a person. He's going to bring it to one person and through one man. That person is Abraham. Abraham's given many promises. His descendants are going to bless. Through his descendants, they're going to bless the entire world. And we know that the full uh, culmination of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But as it goes down, it's starting to uh, uh, separate, right? Abraham had other sons. He had Ishmael. He had wife, uh, sons and daughters through Keturah. They're mentioned, but they're not taken up with. That's not where God's focus is. God mentions uh, Esau. He's not focused too much with him. Edom is mentioned later in, in the Bible, but he's focused with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the sons of Jacob. And we're going to be looking at a little bit briefly about the blessings of what is to come about these sons. And does it really affect us today? Well, it does. But um, through this all, through it all, um, God was taking care of those who he promised. He was bringing them through miraculously. Um, Seventy people went down into Egypt, it says. But when we turn the page to the very next chapter, there's some over half a million. How is it possible within a few years, well, I should say a few, maybe a hundred years, 400 years, that a, a people that were 70 in number would grow to possibly with, with the wives and everything and the children to a million, except for God was with them. God was taking care of them. And so God's attention and focus bringing in upon one man and his 12 sons and ultimately the nation of Israel. But what would that mean for us today? So, uh, let's look in 48. We'll read. We can't read the entire. Um, we'll read most of this, um, and we'll come back to 49 and mention it. So, looking in verse 48 and verse 1, chapter 48. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, "Behold, your father is sick." So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And when it was told Jacob, "Behold, your son Joseph has come to you," Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting, everlasting possession. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring which are born after you shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers and their inheritance. Now as for me, as I came from Padan, Rachel, di Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. But I buried, their, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. When Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Joseph took them from his knees and bowed, and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand upon uh, Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. 
And he blessed Joseph and said, um, and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed my life from all evil, bless the lads and may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. So Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand upon his head. And his father refused, and he said, I know, my son, I know. He also will, be great. He also will become people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them, saying, By you Israel shall pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And then, uh, then Israel said to Jacob, uh, Israel said to Joseph, excuse me, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you. That's our phrase. God will take care of you and will bring you back to this land of your fathers. And I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. And then over to chapter 50, we'll come back to 48, 49. Then Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the, uh, the physicians embalmed Israel. Now 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept over him 70 days. And when the days for mourning were uh, or mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, Behold, I am about to die in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up to bury my father, and I shall return. And then skipping a couple of verses, the inhabitants of the land, it's not just Joseph's family, but it's Pharaoh's entire governing body and household goes up too with him. Verse 12, it says this, And his sons did for him as he had charged him. His sons buried him in the land of Canaan, and they buried him in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with a field for a burial site from Ephraim the Hittite. And after he was buried, his father, jo- uh, after he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all those who have gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we have done to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall, thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression which your brothers did and their sins, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to them. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to him, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. And as for you, you meant it evil uh, against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid, for I will provide for you and your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke to them kindly. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years old. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, the sons of Machir. 
And the son, the son of Manasseh was born on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you. There's our phrase again. And will bring you up from this land and what she promised on oath to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely take care of you and you will carry my bones up from here. And Joseph died at the age of 110 years old and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin. And so let's just open to the word of prayer. Our Father, we just asked that you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. And so as we said, the beginning of this book starts off with creation, pristine, uh, paradise, but it's lost. The end of this book ends up with a man in a coffin. And isn't that the picture of sin? Right? Sin has entered into the world in the very last uh, verse of this chapter is that Joseph was placed, a man's placed in a coffin. He's died. And what has transpired in between? Well, there's been a lot. But as we come towards the end of this chapter, um, Jason, you just flip it one. I don't think it's working. Um, <clears throat> Israel is now charging his sons. Um, he has lived in Egypt for about... Um, 17 years. Out of 130 years, he's come into the land of Egypt. He brings all of his family, 66 in number. But now it's been 17 years about past. And now uh, Joseph hears that his father is sick, so he wants to bring his sons to them. And something uh, very important happens here. It's something that is really unheard of uh, when it comes to the patriarch, patriarchal blessings uh, as it's passed down. So he brings his two sons to him. Um, Joseph does. But instead of, 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 of blessing just Joseph, he extends the blessing. He elevates Ephraim and Manasseh to his own sons. Now, that's pretty unheard of. Now, when we come to what um, the Bible calls sons, grandsons, you don't see a lot of grandsons mentioned. It talks about Jacob's sons being the uh, 66 that came. There's no mention of the wives. But the sons that were born to Judah, the sons that were born to Issachar, the sons that were born to Zebulun, their immediate grandsons, it would be in our language, were called Jacob's sons. And so those were the ones that God uh, gave to Jacob that the blessing would come through. But Jacob elevates Ephraim and Manasseh to the, to the status of Reuben, Simeon, Judah. Right, and so this comes. This becomes important. Why? Because um, as the land is is as parsed out in in uh, in Joshua, and as it's given to them in the ful- fulfillment of the promise, well, you don't find uh, uh, you don't find Levi's name for for one because his inheritance was given him before the land. But Manasseh and Ephraim are both mentioned. Right, they're both uh, on equal par as with Reuben and, uh, Reuben and Simeon, yet they're Joseph's sons. They would be Jacob's grandsons or Israel's grandsons. And so um, this comes about because this is obviously God's design, and he speaks through Jacob. But one of the first things we want to look at is, and this has been mentioned as we've taken up this man's life, and it's Jacob's testimony of God will take care of you. If I were to tell you, show you this verse, um, where it says down in 18, uh, excuse me, down in, 
I lost my place. Well, what it says here, it talks about God Almighty. He, he starts giving these terms. We'll look at a couple more in a second. But this shepherd, here it is. Um, God who has been the shepherd all my life up until this day. You say, well, that's great. You know, I could say that because, you know, when you think of a shepherd, you think he leads you around. He, he brings you to where you need to eat, to feed. But what about the hard things that Jacob went through? He says, all my life. Did he say that then? It doesn't really record that he did. But the, through the hard times that Jacob went through, he lost a wife prematurely, right? Rachel died in childbirth. He thought he lost a son. He, he lost uh, Simeon too, right? When they went back down to Egypt. There's a lot of heartache that this man went through. He says this in verse 4. He just adds this commentary, but it's in connection to the blessing. Um, he says this, uh, as for me, 7. As for me, he, he adds this as a commentary. Before I came to Padan, after God blessed me, Rachel died to my sorrow. There's been sorrow on the way. Joseph, there's been sorrow on the way. This blessing, yes, there's, there's sorrow and there's sickness and there's sadness in the world. And you might want to turn to something else to cope with it, but God will take care of you. The shepherd who has been over my life, he has taken care of me. He will take care of you as well. And so when we come with, the, when we come with connection of how to deal with adversity, how to deal with hardship, look back at the blessings. Look back at the God who has, not just the blessings, but the God who has given you the blessings. And that's been Jacob's testimony. Look in chapter, um, chapter 48. Look at these terms that, Je- that uh, Jacob has, has revealed to us. And they're used multiple times after this in Scripture. And the blessing to Joseph. Verse 24. Talking about who's going to strengthen Joseph's hands. Or who did strengthen Joseph's hands. And his hands were strengthened from the mighty one of Jacob. The mighty one of Jacob. The first term we hear. The shepherd. We already heard that before. The shepherd. The stone of Israel. Another one. The God of your father. God Almighty. El Shaddai. Or Shaddai in that particular. So there's like at least five terms that Joseph, uh, Jacob now has, has, has taken a hold. And, and the relationship with God, it's become personal. And the way God has revealed Himself to him. Shepherd. All his life, the stone of Israel, somebody who is immovable, his promises are immovable. The God of your father, right? Before Jacob uh, would, uh, even in Luz, he would talk about the God of his father, Isaac's father, right? His, uh, uh, talk about Isaac. But now it's the God of him, right? Him, your father, he's my God, right? The personal relationship that now Joseph had, Jacob has with his, uh, with his God. And so Jacob's testimony, all the good that he had, right? And we've got to keep in mind something, too. You know, it's a slander to God's character to think that evil comes from him, right? That's what the children of Israel said. They said, you know, they looked around and they looked at the, the hardship that they had, no food, no water, and they said, God hates us. It was a slander against his character. God hates us. And sometimes that can creep. We're not going to verbally say it, maybe. We say, where is God? How can he let me go through this? The shepherd who has been all my life, right? Up until this day, he has brought me along in this journey. And so I don't know where you're at in your life, and this seems to be coming up a lot, especially with these patriarchs. Abraham went through hardships, famines in the land, 
almost nearly wrecked the promise, right, of giving his wife over to Pharaoh. Isaac, problems with the locals in Canaan, right, digging the wells. Shepherd who has been through all their lives, and Jacob, and what turmoil he had in his family and everything else. But Jacob's testimony, the shepherd who has been uh, in my life all the days of my life. God Almighty has, uh, has appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And so how do we cope with it? Well, we, get, we focus our attention on the God who is in heaven, and he has blessed us. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has given you blessings too as well. The Lord Jesus himself has said, the Son of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have that promise. While the situation might not look that way, but it is the reality, right? And so Jacob's testimony, verse 48, and, and we, we get a lot of it in the rest of these chapters, but um, that was Jacob's testimony. We'll look at Joseph's in a second, but let's look in 49. Now this is quite interesting because it has far-reaching effects, what's written down in this first book, the, almost the last chapter of this book, but it has reaching effects that will last throughout eternity. And as we look at these sons, it's like, why, why study these? Why look at these blessings? Why look at these blessings of these men that were of this nation, of this family? Um, a person who was close to me asked, asked one time, uh, they said, you know, why does, why does Joshua, why in, in the end of Joshua, if you know the end of Joshua, why does God go in such great detail to show you the, the outline of the land and, and where Simeon is in the midst of Judah and, and at the extent of their boundaries? Why does God go to such detail? Well, because of these, because of the promises that he made before. God now is recording for us that it's been fulfilled. And if God fulfilled the promises to them, do we have the confidence in Him that He will fulfill the promises to us? Absolutely. Right? We should. The stone of Israel, He's called. And so these promises, it's not just blessings. Yes, it is blessings. And they're blessings, some of them, based upon what they did in their life. But it's also prophecy. And so why else study this? Well, I pose this question. This is an open-ended question, if anybody would like to guess. Where else do we see these 12 tribes besides in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? Yes, Joe. Revelation. Revelation. Where in Revelation? It's the 144,000 That's true. That is very true. There is one tribe missing, though, mentioned in there. Uh, I think it's Dan, right? Where else do we find them in Revelation? That is one. There's one more. If you're going to walk into the holy, the new Jerusalem, you're going to see something. You're going to pass through one gate. You might pass through the gate of Reuben, right? The 12 tribes are mentioned in the gate of the new Jerusalem that comes from heaven. And so throughout eternity, you're going to see Simeon's name there. You're going to see Issachar's name there. You're going to see Naphtali. These people that are, in, maybe to you, in, you know, they're insignificant. What are these? Well, for all eternity, God has written their names. And not just that, the apostles are named, mentioned too, right? The foundations of that new city, the, pal- the apostles' names are mentioned there. And so, does it, does it uh, move you to get to know these stories, right? They're not just stories. The Bible talks about, um, in 1 Corinthians, it says this, excuse me, it says this in, and, and we'll first talk about Romans 15. It says, the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning, right? And our instruction. That, let me... 
Let me make sure I don't misquote it. Because it's very important. And it does affect us today. It says this in 15.4. It says, Whatever is written in early times is written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so while I might be suffering or I might be down on, on the situation, I look to the Scriptures. How can I find and receive hope and perseverance? I look to the Scriptures. How, what do I look to? The stories of old, right? The Scriptures in general. And so I can look at Reuben's story. I can look at Levi's story. And I can look at the... Uh, almost it seems like a cursing through what happened to Levi. But yet there's blessing later. And so these stories aren't just written for history. Yes, there is history involved. But yet there's things that are lasting throughout eternity. And it's applicable to us today. Also, first, um, I believe it's First Corinthians uh, ten. It talks about the instructions, uh, the the situations that Israel, that the Holy Spirit has recorded for us, there were written directly for us, right? That we might learn something. And so, these things are not just stories. These people aren't just cartoon characters, right? They're real people, and what their story was and what happened. So, what can we learn from them? Well, we're only going to look at a couple of them here, but. I would ask that you know you look this in your, up in your own time, but looking at verse one, we'll read it says then Jacob assembled his sons and uh, and assembled and said, assemble yourselves that I might tell you what befall you in the days to come. Okay, so it's not just a blessing. This is something that's going to happen in the future, and there is a lot of uh, differences of how people interpret it. They look at this. They'll look at each one of these 12 and they'll say that this is the history of Israel as a whole and going down through the ages and and the kingly line of David and then there's the rejection and then there's the casting off and then they're brought back again. Um, Some of that does fit, but it seems to be a little bit squeezed in. I would just like to submit to you to look at this and how it was delivered, right? There's an immediate promise and blessing, but there's a later fulfillment later. Obviously, all of this is going to be fulfilled later, but it is fulfilled, some of it, in Scripture. It says, Gather together, in verse 2, Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. So the first one we will look at is Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. I mean, the very first one you would see, man, how sad, right? I mean, he's, these blessings, they're not necessarily in birth order. Um, it almost looks like he groups Jacob, uh, the Holy Spirit, really, he's grouping these, but the Holy Spirit groups the first four with Leah's sons. And then, and then he looks at the maid's sons. And then um, it looks at uh, Rachel's sons. But they're not necessarily in birth order. But the first four are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. But Reuben, he was the firstborn. And we know that from from Esau and and, uh, looking at the way that things were passed on from uh, in the family, from the father to son, the birthright and the blessing were passed on from the father to the firstborn. And tragedy, the very first person, he had the gift that he didn't work on. Might, uh, strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. He had it at, right there at his fingertips. But yet he squandered it because of one action. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. 
What does your Bible say? Does another person have another uh, um, translation that you shall not have preeminence? You shall not excel. And that tribe, that literally happened, right? While Reuben, the, the birthright was squandered and the, and the blessing was squandered, his tribe was really not mentioned that much after that, right? And, and literally, because of that one act, that happened. But we know that the, you know, his name is written in heaven. I do believe Reuben will be in heaven. But the lesson first we want to look at is that, especially at the act, right? What the act was, if you're not familiar... It's, he says it here, Jacob. It says, you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. The story is in Genesis, I believe it's 35, but it says at the end, it says, Reuben went up and lay with Bilhah, Jacob, or his father's um, concubine or wife, it would be. And you would think, man, how could, how could a son ever go up and lay with his father's you know, wife, his mother-in-law? or his stepmom, whatever it would be in today's language. But there must have been maybe close in age or something. The point is that Reuben was, he had the power, he had the dignity, he had these things, but his life was characterized as uncontrolled as water. He didn't bring the physical desires under control. And so much so that he went up to his father's bed and he defiled, and he defiled it. All it says there is that Israel heard of it. You think, man, that's all he did? I mean, that's all that happened. And sometimes these effects, these sexual sins, or any kind of sin, really, it's going to have consequences later. God might not spare you from it. You know, if you want to go out, we have a couple of police officers here. You know, if you want to go out and steal, you want to go out and break the law, you might get away with it for a little bit, right? But eventually they're going to catch you. You know, they're going to catch you. And you're going to have to pay the price. Sin has consequences. Reuben is an example for us. Each person, guy and girl, uncontrolled as water. His passions, his desires were uncontrolled. He did not bring them into control. There's a person that was talking to me not too long ago that I care about a lot too. And he told me, and in encouragement, don't derail yourself too early. In your, in your Christian life, as you're walking, be conscious of these things. There's these forces against you. There's the world. There's the flesh. Don't derail yourself too early in life. Paul himself, you think of how great that man was. He says, I beat my body up. I buffet it. And while I preach, in 1 Corinthians 9, it says this, that I might not get disqualified later. So Paul himself was even worried about getting disqualified. And so that goes as a lesson to us. While we've got to be conscious of the sin, especially within us, right? The flesh is very attracted and then gravitating towards uh, um, the world and, and, and sin itself. But we can have um, control. If you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And it talks about this in, 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 um, in Galatians, that the successful Christian life is one that is a tightrope walk between legalism on one side and, and living carnality on the other, but is walking by faith, right? You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so Reuben goes as an example. But looking at the immediate, that's the application. Reuben, this is very important too. First Chronicles, I mean, the first five, nine chapters in First Chronicles, you might say, man, this is so boring. It's just a bunch of sons. Here it is, this guy, this guy, a few little stories here and there. But it says something important, commentary of this. 
First Chronicles chapter five, it says, Now the sons of Reuben, who was Israel's first was the firstborn of Israel. Here we see these two terms, right? The firstborn, while he's the physical firstborn, but also there's this title of the firstborn, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, it says this that God the Father, he says, I will make him my firstborn. It doesn't mean that he is born, right? Some cults out there will say, Well, that proves, look, Lord Jesus Christ was he was born. No, there's a title of the firstborn. But while Reuben was the firstborn, um, but he, because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. Part one, he squandered it, right? The birthright's given to Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he might not be enrolled in genealogy according to the birthright. Though Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came the leader, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. And so there's two parts that are split. Two things that belong to, to Reuben, birthright and leadership of the family. Both of them are split. One goes to uh, Joseph, the blessing, which was uh, the 11th born, if you would think. Also, the leadership we're about to look at goes to another person, and that's being Judah. Okay, so that's Reuben looking at verse 5. Now, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let not my soul enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob. I will scatter them in Israel. Okay, and then here in the second one, we, we, he groups two people together. Again, talking to a, 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 referring back to an instance that happened. Um, if you remember, uh, as the family is traveling around, Jacob and his sons, they rest at a place near Shechem. The king's son, the prince, as it were, would get, come out. He sees, their do- he sees a sister of theirs. I, the name slips on mine. I think it's Dinah. He sees Dinah, which is, Jacob, uh, which is Jacob's daughter, Simeon Levi's sister. He, for lack of a better term, he rapes her. The, the sons, as, as that anger would well in anybody, right? Nobody wants to see their sister. That happened. They go ahead and through craft and different ways, uh, they, they set up an idea of them getting circumcised, the whole city, not just that, 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 uh, that, that, that man who did the actual act, but the father, the entire city. And through that, they took their swords while they were in pain and slew the whole city. I mean, we're talking about anger, right? Total destruction. Not just that. It says that he lamed, they lamed oxen. I was like, what's that about? Well, their spite and their hatred for these people, the oxen was the picture of, of, of their machinery, right? And so it would be as if I were to come in your house and not only kill you, but I were to take your, your car and slash the tires and I would destroy things in your home. I mean, just total anger. But it's interesting to note a couple of things that doesn't really talk about them in particular at first. It says their swords, right? They used their swords in a way, in such a way that was dishonoring, right? In the wrong way. Their swords are implements of violence. Let not my soul enter into their counsel. And so he talks about something that they use. And, you know, we, we come across different things that might not be inherently wrong, right? But the way that we use it is wrong. And the way that I approach somebody 
and tactfully, and, and I might want to, talking about discipline and correction, and I might want to see that brother or that sister be corrected, but the way that I approach it, I might use it in a wrong way. Right? Their swords are implements of violence. They use something in the wrong way. It says here that Jacob says that, let not my soul enter in their counsel, let not my glory be united with their assembly. And so that has something to do with it. Simeon, in their parsing out of the land, Simeon literally, uh, looking at the end of this, it says, let them be scattered in Israel. Simeon is, is their land. If you, look at the, if you look at your map, it does give a good uh, picture of what happened. But Simeon is given a land. They're not even giving borders. They're given a land within another tribe. And so literally this is uh, fulfilled. Levi, um, I'm sure you're more familiar with. Well, who comes from Levi? Well, there's Moses coming from uh, Merari. But also there's another son, uh, Moses' brother, called Aaron. Right? The priestly line comes from Levi. And at a specific time, when all around them there was rabid sin, there was idolatry, there was total chaos... The only tribe that stepped up and said, we will be on the Lord's side is Levi, right? Moses said he drew a line. Who's on the Lord's side? The entire tribe of Levi came over, right? And at that juncture, um, they're given their inheritance, and their inheritance is the Lord himself. And so literally, Levi is scattered within Israel. It doesn't negate what happens here, right? They're scattered within Israel. And so we see these these priestly casts. Uh, the priests are consigned or... Uh, Aaron's sons and his sons are given the assignment to the the tabernacle, but there's also Levites that are scattered throughout the entire land of Israel. So literally this thing's happened, but there's still good news. And so let's look at and also uh, the very next verse, Judah. Judah, your brother sh- shall praise you, and the hand of you, uh, and the, and your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? Rouse him up. The, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. He ties his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. So we come to a very, very important prophecy. And there's been now a more narrow. God is narrowing down to where this Messiah is going to come from. He talked about, uh, in general, the seed of the woman, right? So he's going to be human. But he's also going to come from Abraham. There's going to be a blessing, This uh, the seed. The promises are going to be given to the seed. But now he's getting even more particular. And he's talking about Judah. Now, as we learned in First Corinthians, uh, Chronicles 5, the leadership is now passed on from Reuben to Judah. Judah, your brother shall praise you. The hand of your enemies, the hand of your your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. And really, this has been the testimony of Judah. Right? Um, it's not really a fulfillment until David comes to power, because you know Saul, while the king wasn't was in place, Saul was from Benjamin. Right? So David was a son of Judah, uh, of the line of Judah. But there's also others in Judah who had prominent roles, right? There's the very first judge, right? He was Othniel, which was the brother of Caleb, the, Jeph- uh, the son of Jephunneh, 
But he was also from Judah, right? So Judah is starting to become taking a role in the very near future. Uh, this is becoming um, true. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey of my son you have gone up. He couches, he lies down his lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And so there's been something passed along to him. Uh, David's kingdom was one of law, right? The law came from Judah, came from the king. Also, uh, uh, punishment and inflictment to the enemies, right? Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. It means they're subdued. David subdued all the enemies, right? David is a good pitcher. And, And subsequently, Solomon did as well. But after that, it kind of falls apart, right? Even when the tribe split, um, Judah is given uh, solely to a ruler that would come from Judah, from that kingly line. But these two things, the scepter and the ruler's staff. The scepter speaks of rulership, right? King. The ruler's staff, you might have something else, but it, it literally means the one who gives the law. So these two things are going to be in Judah's hand until somebody comes, and he's called here Shiloh. But... I just really quick look at, oh, this is a little small. I don't know if you can read it, but um, this is also coming from First Chronicles. And we'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. But I find this quite interesting. Judah, um, of course, these are his sons. Pe- uh, Perez and Zerah come from his, I guess it would be his daughter-in-law. But um, she, uh, Tamar, she has these two sons. They're counted as his. Perez, then Hezron and Hamel. And then from Hezron, Ram, Abinadad, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse. So we know from Jesse comes from David. But one thing to talk about too, as I was going through this, Nashon is mentioned as the leader of Judah that leads out. So you realize within, as we talked about earlier, 70 people went in, right? Here, here they are, well, Onan and Ur died. So these people went into the land of Egypt. By the time Nashon is born and coming out, there's over you know, a million people. I mean, God, that has to be God's doing. How can that small of a people grow up into that numerous of a people? It's really amazing. But from that, Jesse, right? From Judah comes Jesse, and then to David. We're very familiar, right, with Solomon, David's son. This is the kingly line. Well, Matthew 1 tells us that's where Joseph comes from. But Luke 3 also gives us another genealogy. From David, from Jesse, from Judah... And that's Mary, Joseph and Mary, right? Both from Judah and giving the full promise of this one called Shiloh. And so where is the real fulfillment of this? Well, until Shiloh comes, it literally means that Judah is a placeholder until to the one it belongs to. And so there's going to be somebody who's going to come that Judah is going to now transfer that over to that person who it really belongs to. And this one is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at a couple more, but John, give me a few more minutes. John chapter 19, we see these two things fulfilled. Remember, the ruler's staff and the scepter. Okay, here's Jesus before Pilate. And there's dialogue between them and back and forth between Pilate and the high priest and Jesus. And it says it in 29, just for context, Pilate therefore went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? This is talking to the leading class of Israel, right? Where, where are they at this point? They're in Judah. 
But he says, Pilate went out from this accusation to bring it against this man. They answered and said, If this man were not an evildoer, we would have not delivered him up to you. Key verse. Pilate therefore said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews says, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. Does anybody have another translation for we are not permitted to put him to death? It is not. Does somebody have it is not lawful? Nobody? But I think in the King James, it says, it is not lawful. And so they, by their own mouth, have recognized that the ruler's staff has then departed from them. And if you know Israel's history, this kingly line, right, um, at Jehoiakim, the rule has been taken away from Judah. So the rule has been taken away, and now there's Messiah standing right before them. They're confessing with their own mouth that the ruler's staff has now departed from them. Because it's been transferred over to Shiloh. Right? The one who it's been belonged has been transferred to him. And so right here at the first book of the Bible, chapter 49, we have a prophecy being fulfilled, right? And well, it's been fulfilled in our past, but in Scripture we can see the fulfillment. And so um, go back one, Jason. Um, but there's a couple more things about the Lord Jesus. We'll end with this because we're out of time. Um, some key, key phrases about the Lord Jesus. At, uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey of my son you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. And, you know, the sons that would come from the king, the kingly line of David, right, they were, they were ones who did subdue Israel's en- enemies, right? They inflicted punishment on every side. But the full subduing of evil wouldn't come until this one Shiloh would take over. It says this, and this was mentioned this morning. One with this. Revelation 5, it says this. There's a, uh, a book with, seven, with seals on it. And this is literally the title deed of earth. Who is it that's worthy to rule the earth? Who can step in place and come and rule and, and hold the ruler's staff, the law giving, and the scepter. Who can hold it? And I saw a strong angel uh, proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven and earth and under the earth were able to open it. And I looked. And I looked into it. Nobody's able to. And I began weeping, John. This is John speaking. And because no one was found worthy to open the book, and one of the elders said, Stop weeping. Why should he stop weeping? Who is it that's worthy? Behold, the lion who is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome to open the book and its seven seals. So why study this? Why look at these prophecies? Why look at these blessings? Because they do have implications and they affect us today. Because this is a direct, this is a direct prophecy. This is talking about the Lord Jesus himself, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who will hold the scepters of of kingship, the one who would hold the scepter of, of rule, right? Both these things, the ruler's staff, he's going to hold both of them, and he's going to ultimately subdue evil, but not without war, right? And so he will come back again. He will take his church out, right? He'll call us out. But he's going to come back to earth again and be visible, be seen, and to do away with evil once and for all. And so at the beginning of this book, right, at the beginning of our Bible, we have a promise and we have hope. And just like Joseph, just like Jacob, right? The testimony that God will take care of you. How can we find encouragement? Well, 
as we look back at that First Corinthians, right, through perseverance and through searching out the scriptures, we find hope. And so that's the lesson, I think, at the end of this, at the end of these, uh, at the end of this book of these patriarchs, right, Jacob dying off, Joseph dying off, but passing on, right, fulfilling what God wanted in the world, right? He wanted Abraham to, to, he wanted to bless Abraham, but what did he want Abraham to do? He wanted him to teach his sons, right? He wanted them to instruct them in the ways of righteousness. We see this being fulfilled, right? He's teaching his sons. And God would uh, uh, be um, uh, persevering and in, in, uh, 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 he would be uh, separating this people, right? And we too now, in a different body, right, called the church, we are separated unto God and we are in his service and we have promises from him. And so that is the lesson as we close Genesis uh, for today. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the blessings that we find in. We thank you for yourself, Lord. You are the sh- our shepherd. You are the stone of Israel. You are God Almighty, Lord. And as Jacob has, has revealed that title to us, we see Jake, um, David even um, enacting this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we look to you. There's nothing that you don't give us that we don't need, Lord. And so we don't need to look at things and material, uh, uh, material items, Lord, that we see missing, things at work, money, whatever it is, Lord. We just need to focus on you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would be more drawn to the shepherd of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who keeps us and takes care of us. And in his name we do pray. Amen.